You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory coming at you with the mailbag edition. Uh, and the votes, the votes are in. The votes have been decided by the time this is over. And Patrick Levon Mahomes is the president of the United States. Fantastic news for all of those around. Great things coming for this country. Here to help me talk about all of your great questions are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, what's good, my friend? Listen, there's a lot of things good right now. I think this is a time we just got to focus on football. There's a lot of other stuff going around in the world right now, everybody. So, you know, enjoy that. But take an hour here. Hang out with us as we talk about some Kansas City Chiefs football, who I might remind you guys are the reigning world champions in the best sport in the world. Just take a moment, soak that in, put a smile on your face, and listen to the sweet, soothing sound of the Renaissance man's voice. Craig's out. How you doing, friend? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm ready to get this going. I'm ready to talk football with you guys and put aside the rest of the world to talk about our beloved Kansas City Chiefs. Let's do it. We got a lot of questions. You guys always bring fantastic questions. We always appreciate it. And uh, we start with the five-star reviews. If you like the show you like what's going on here on the AP Podcast channel, leave a five-star review. If you ask a question when you leave a review, we answer it. Table Rock Guy asks, love the show, guys. You all have definitely improved my knowledge of the game. Thank you. Uh, basic questions for the Renaissance man. What cues do you look for in identifying defensive personnel groupings, base, nickel, dime, player substitutions, alignments, safeties? I mean, just as a real brief here, base will be the 4-3. That's four defensive linemen, three linebackers, and four defensive backs. Nickel, you take out one of those linebackers, and you put in another defensive back. So that would be four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs. Dime, you remove yet another linebacker or sometimes a defensive lineman. Steve Spagnuolo will sometimes go with a 3-2 dime, and then it's six defensive backs back there. That's really the key. That's really the difference between all of them is the number of defensive backs that are on the field, and you're just taken away from the front seven every time you add one of them. WS198X asks, I haven't seen any tweet about it yet, so I'll ask, is Dentari Poe too washed to take a flyer on Maddie? Yeah, he's been a little too washed for a couple years now. Um, Dottari Poe has not been particularly good at football for a while now. It, unfortunately, a man that size started having back issues all the way back to early with his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. Guy, when you're that big, you can't have back issues. It's going to start to show up. It showed up at times with the Chiefs, and it's just kind of only gotten worse as he's gotten older. On top of that, 
I'm not sure where you'd even try to fit him into play because the Chiefs right now have one of the best pass rushing defensive tackles in Chris Jones. You have two really good run-stopping defensive tackles in Derek Nottie and Mike Pinnell. And then what you've seen from Tershawn Wharton so far, like I see no reason to even attempt to look for a defensive tackle to come in and break up that group. Claxter asks, are y'all going to give Dirty Dan some props this week? And I just want to make sure to give you know a shout-out to some of the people that like Zach Tuttle, I think, asked a question, but we didn't see it too late based on kind of how it populates and how we get to see it um, before last week's mailbag. But this one, I, I think this might actually, this one from Claxter actually might have been from last week, from from the week before. And I think, you know, Dan Sorensen, he had a pretty good game last week, and he got to see a little bit more opportunities. Uh, we'll probably, I think we have some discussion about Juan Thornhill and Dan Sorensen and their usage here, and Craig obviously looked up some stuff as well based on his charting which my man does every single week for y'all. It's crazy. <laughs> Craig ha- Craig built an app to help him chart the defense every game during like the broadcast view. It's wild. But yeah, you got to give Dan, Dan Sorensen some props. I mean, he's still going to be pretty high variance, and there's still going to be some games where uh, he's rough. But you're riding a good wave this week, and he deserves a ton of credit. NY to KC31. Tedrick Thompson. I feel like he was playing well in the limited duty. Now we never see him. Is there something I missed with how he is playing, Craig? No, not necessarily. I think they just got a little healthier in the secondary. I think you're seeing a lot more Rashad Fenton in that dime role that Tedrick Thompson was playing. Rashad Fenton was kind of forced into that boundary role, you know, with some of the injuries at the cornerback position. So they really were using more Tedrick Thompson as the sixth DB in the dime there with Rashad Fenton back with Bashad Breland back you've started to see or you've you're now seeing a situation where that secondary is a little more whole a little more complete and so he's not rotating with Juan Thornhill on some of those early downs as well as Thornhill has become more healthy so it just is a situation where Spagnola has his guys he likes his guys Tedrick Thompson is great depth good special teams they're just not really using him because they don't need to AP Nerd Squad at gmail.com questions. If you uh, don't have Twitter, don't want to leave a five-star review, whatever, you can also reach us by email, apnerdsquad at gmail.com. Austin Reed did that. He asks, uh, he says, I love listening to you guys every week. Everyone feel free to answer, but specifically to Matt, since I know they're both his wide receiver crushes, Olave and Devontae Smith both on the board. Who do you take? And that's Chris Olave. Well, this is a this is a tricky question. I think I have to go with Chris Olave here for the simple fact that Devonta Smith would break so many trends if he's successful in the NFL. Guys that are as lean or essentially as thin as he is that are going to run as fast or slow, however you want to slice it, as his reported 40 times going to be, those guys essentially just don't last in the NFL. You have a very small list of guys with his body mass index, what it's going to be when you consider that he's six foot, six foot one, but like 172 pounds or whatever he's going to be at the combine. Everybody with that kind of body type that comes out is also a blazing fast player. Devontae Smith 
isn't that fast. He's so technically sound. His hands are so good. He does all the little things well, and I think he will succeed in the NFL. But if I have to make a choice between the two, I'm going to take the guy who's got a little bit better of a physical profile. And I mean, I also have to say Chris Olave is an excellent player. I mean, I think you've seen his progression each and every single season has been tremendous, whereas Smith just kind of jumped onto the screen as soon as he got playing time at that loaded Alabama team. Olave, you've seen him get better every single year. He just came off a big weekend. I'd lean towards Olave, but man, I would be happy with either one of them. Real quick, where would you take Devontae Smith? Because you're, real quick, I just, the way you, way you pre- presented Devontae Smith, you say, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's going to break a lot of trends if he's going to find success. So what, what kind of risk assessment do you have there? Oh, I, w- I would still take him in the first round. It's just, if I'm deciding between those two players, if those two players are on the board and I'm taking a wide receiver, I'm going to take the guy who's going to be safer in terms of just historical trends. I And I would say that Chris Olave probably has a better upside because I think he'll be, he's a little bit thicker and I think he'll run faster. So you have a better upside. You have a better floor in terms of just not completely tanking out of the NFL like anybody else at that general size. So yeah, Olave still to me, but I would have no problem taking Devontae Smith at the end of round one. It's just that would be my deciding factor between the two. It's fascinating. I just kind of wanted to kind of get your feedback because I know you've talked highly of Devontae Smith before, but like you know, you kind of didn't paint a great picture. And I'm not trying to criticize oh, no. you. I'm just love him as a player. Yeah, if that's the case, no, I don't mean that. Devontae Smith is probably the best route runner in this class. His hands are phenomenal when you consider like not just contested catches, but the way that he can catch outside of his frame while working in different directions. That goes back to body control. Like, he is a fantastic route runner. You just saw him. They lose Jalen Waddle. It doesn't matter. Devontae Smith just blows up despite being the clear cut number one guy to cover. Devontae Smith is a first round caliber player. Just if I have to decide between the two, the draft is just as much risk management as it is drafting the best player. Give me the guy with the lowest amount of risk that might also have a higher ceiling. I would go Chris Olave too, for what it's worth. Big in Japan asks, while Mahomes is seemingly able to throw a perfect underhand spiral anytime he wants, he struggles to hit running backs in stride when throwing normal to his outlet receiver in the flat. So I have to ask, should Mahomes just stop throwing the ball overhand to running backs? Behind the line of scrimmage, it seems like he struggles with the fine touch on those short, low-velocity passes, and it's the one hole in his otherwise extraordinary quarterback play. Love the the podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, no, he shouldn't. And, you know, honestly, I, I know like there are some things that like I don't love when he's trying to get to his outlet. And part of it is, is he hangs on down the field in like he, he really hangs on to the structure of the play down the field to try to see if he can get something going down there. And then he's kind of just late to the back. And sometimes his base isn't particularly clean. And maybe, you know, he's got a defensive end in his face. Um I think when he misses to the back as his outlet, I think it's some of those things, just timing, structure, those kind of things. Uh, or maybe, you know, their defensive end, he's trying to get the ball over defensive end. I, I can I can hear that argument. He doesn't always get it there sometimes when that when it's a situation like that. Um, you saw that even in the Super Bowl. And he's seen it there this year too. Time for the Twitter questions. Kay Gumminger, our guy. Thoughts on the proposed 16-team playoff format for this year? That seems to hurt everyone, right? Burn it to the ground and never look back. At this point in time, you might as well just do a round of 32 playoff if you're just going to keep expanding it. Who wants to watch the 16th best team in the NFL play the Kansas City Chiefs or the Pittsburgh Steelers or whoever? Like 
that is such a bad idea to make good teams play more football. You're just making it harder for the good teams to get all the way to the Super Bowl because they have to play more games. It's just it's a silly idea, and if it worked, you know they would do it again because it's going to be more money as more people watch going forward. Bad idea, bad execution. I hope it's not serious. It's a terrible idea. It is an absolutely terrible idea. You don't give anybody a buy in that scenario. It was already a bad enough idea to take away one of the buys. Now you're going to take away both of the buys, which I guess maybe is a better idea than just one, but... Even still, as a fan of a team that is going to be near the top of the AFC for the next 10 to 15 years, it's a terrible idea. We want Andy Reid coming off of by always, 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 and now all of a sudden you're taking away any buys. You're just adding a lot more randomness to the whole thing. I just, I don't like it. Now, if I were maybe the second best team in the AFC West, I would probably love this idea because it's adding another team to the playoffs. But as one of the front runners, I hate it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think the Chiefs are going to come out of this with the one seed, they're having to play the Browns or something in the first week of the playoffs, and you really don't want to see that. Uh, our pal Jinx the Terrible jumping in. Uh, what has been Juan Thornhill's primary role versus the past? Focus on being on a certain side, weak, strong, player-driven, solo coverage, or doing any or over-the-top help. It's mostly over-the-top help. I, I Juan Thornhill didn't get the base reps this week. He was the nickel safety. They just don't really love using him in the box. They'll they'll do it on occasion, but he does a little bit of everything. But when all things are equal. In, in single high looks, he's just keeping a lid on the top of the defense. He's being an over-the-top defender. In split safety looks, he tends to be to the field. So if it's on one side of the hash, he tends to get the bigger side of the field because he's got a little more range. They like to put Tyron Matthew back there with him. So they, they try and go with the guy with a little more range there. They will kick him down in the slot on occasion. They'll have him drive from high to cut some routes as well. But by and large, if everything is equal and you don't have a stud receiver, which he will follow around and help, Juan Thornhill is going to stick to the bigger side of the field and he's going to try and keep a lid on the top of the defense. It seems so far, to me at least, that his usage has been a lot more similar to what it was the beginning of last year than the end. Towards the end of last year, they seemed to kick him down on the slot and man coverage a little bit more often. They seemed to just be doing things a little bit more exotic. And you also had kind of the, you had Kendall Fuller working back there, playing some more reps, getting deep drops out of the slot and everything. So I do wonder if they're still just working Thornhill back into that same role, because I do think it's been not completely stagnant, because as Craig said, they do still move him around and ask him to do different things, but it's been a lot more of a safety net over the top, a lot more single high stuff, a lot more deep half coverage, just trying to make sure they don't get beat deep by big plays. Maybe that Raiders game shook them kind of into that too. Maybe after the Raiders game where they gave up a couple big plays, they're like, okay, let's keep our best, you know, last line of defense guy in the back end a little bit more often, and that seems to be what they're doing. 
teams aren't challenging the Chiefs a ton vertically in places where he can make plays. I think last year, nobody knew what Juan Thornhill was really, so he got more chances to make plays. This year, not that teams are avoiding him, they're just not giving as many chances because they know Tyron Matthew, Juan Thornhill, even Dan Sorensen can all make plays on the football. So maybe that's kind of resulting in not seeing him as much on the field. But I think you're going to see the role expand more and more as the season keeps going on. Hopefully gets back to where he was at the end of last season. Larry McCammon, the slant route, has been really successful this season, especially against the Jets, putting their front seven in a bind. Any chance Casey uses more quick routes going forward? I think the slant is something the Chiefs have always wildly mis- under, or misutilized with Sammy Watkins and Patrick Mahomes. Just the ability of Mahomes, even Tyree Kill, the ability of Mahomes to get the ball out so quickly with so much velocity on different angles, and then Sammy Watkins' route running ability and physical nature, Tyree Kill's quickness. I always felt like slants are just an area of the game that they did not use a ton of. You saw in Sammy Watkins' first year with Mahomes, they used a lot of them in the red zone. But that kind of disappeared after that. That Jacksonville game to open up last season, you saw a couple of them to start, and they just kind of went away. We didn't get a huge run of slants until this past week against the Jets. They tagged it on with the kind of flat slant flat RPO, and they were just picking the Jets apart with that over and over again. I really liked it, especially when they switched up the RPO look and had it be more of an inside zone to the same side of the running back rather than across the formation. It just messes with the rules from your linebackers, your apex defenders in terms of where they have to play the pass and the run. So it was great versus the Jets. When Sammy Watkins comes back, it should work even better. He's a really good slant runner. I like that they opened it back up. And if teams are going to keep giving you so much cushion, you don't always have to run it. Throw the slant and let your athletes go. I like that we saw it against the Jets. I hope it's a sign of things to come. I uh, I talked about this a little bit on the article too, but you know, I love that they're the weird thing. And I don't know how much I've really seen of this is they're getting the jet motion involved in the RPO game. I don't think the jet itself is live, but it does, especially with the chiefs utilizing so much of that jet motion. There was a lot of, there's a lot of action at the mesh point that helps, you know, create some problems there too. Um, Maybe freezes a guy here or there. Uh, And then popping slants behind guys that were playing kind of in conflict loved the look absolutely loved it and you saw it was an equal opportunity kind of thing for everyone so many get different guys getting slants it wasn't just one guy eating um really presenting some problems and some stuff for teams to think about kind of looking forward to see how that manifests moving forward kyle k asks big game for mccall hardman a lot of good things from him is it possible the mccall breakout game could have just been delayed Due to no OTAs or preseason, or was this game just a fluke? Maddie, I know you're doing a lot of work on McCall Hardman right now. What you think? So I have a big article of McCall Hardman getting to get thrown up on Arrowhead Pride for you guys. Go click on it. I can go into a little bit more detail with some actual film examples there for you. But essentially, watching the game live, I even tweeted it out a couple times. I love that McCall Hardman's usage is being changed up for this game. He's getting a more expansive role on the field. I still agree with that after watching the film, but I will say the usage is a lot more similar to last year than I originally thought. There's still not a lot of in-breaking or out-breaking routes. He's not crossing the field or being used to stretch the field horizontally. They essentially just took a handful of vertical routes and said, hey, why don't you run a comeback here instead? It's still in the vertical plane, but it's just instead of going all the way downfield, he's just cutting the route off. And guess what? It worked great. 
Because when you're as fast as McCole Hardman is and Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball to the other end of the field, you have to respect the deep ball. What happened was they were getting free chunk plays just by having McCole Hardman run vertically and then stop and sit still. McCole Hardman executed it great. Like This is still a good sign for his progression. I just think watching live, it seemed like he was being utilized this entirely different concept. And when I went back and charted it, there's a little bit of new stuff. They did a lot more comebacks, which is nice. They did allow him to line up on the line of scrimmage sometimes, which is nice, but it wasn't just a complete 180 what they did from last year. He still was not taking Sammy Watkins reps hardly at all. He was still behind Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. I know snap count wise, he played more, but they still took the quote unquote wide receiver two or X wide receiver reps over him. So this is a good first step. This is kind of where I would have preferred McCole Hardman to be when the Chiefs drafted him in a second round pick. I would prefer him to look like McCole Hardman just did here, not production wise, but in terms of having a couple different ways that he can win, a little bit more polish to his game in terms of identifying zone coverages and where he needs to sit down. He's still trying to figure out how to deal with physical coverage, how to read leverage that man coverage guys have on him, but he's shown some signs of getting better, and now you have a guy that's not only useful on scheme touches, he can win within the scheme of the play, he can win within the context of the play, it's still in a specific way, a vertical plane, but he's useful as more than just the only guy designed to get the ball, so it's trending in the right direction. I just don't know if I would say this is going to be a huge jumping off point as of yet. Chain a couple games like this together, then we'll start talking. I said this offseason that if McCall Hardman added a hitch, added a curl to his route tree that was effective, that he could really sell it, that he would be an incredibly useful player in this offense because you're going to have teams just like Tyreek Hill, that are going to try and keep a lid on him, that are going to try and play off from him, and they're going to give up underneath routes because they don't want to get beat over the top. To this point, McCall Hardman hadn't really sold that as a good quality route. We saw a lot of them this week, and they were good. And that's exactly what you want to see because now all of a sudden you're going to have corners that have to think twice. You can beat guys on a double move. Now you can sell a kind of out and up. You can sell some more of your route tree when you can implement other things like this underneath route. So it was really good to see. I know we get knocked all the time for being, you know, not positive at all about McCall Hardman, but This is a massively positive step. If they start using him this way more and more, it's just going to pay major dividends, both in the deep ball and in the intermediate. It's going to open everything up for him. Uh, Mark A. Hunsacker, can you quantify at the AP Laboratory standards for what McCole Hardman must achieve for you to have a positive narrative about him? Well, this is probably targeted at me because I've been the most critical of him. And, um, you know, look, I've, I'm encouraged by what we've seen the last couple of weeks. These are the kind of things that we wanted to see. You know, I wanted to see progression and growth. And the route tree has expanded a little bit. Obviously, still off the vertical plane. I still have a lot of questions about anything requiring hard breaks. But that, you know what? The, tr- the truth of the matter is, that's okay. If he can build off that vertical stem... That's going to be enough for him to be a quality number three type receiver. He's never going to be the Sammy Watkins direct replacement. And I don't know if you're really going to see a high target volume consistently. Like This was his first game over five, over four catches in his career. You know, you're not, I don't think it's ever going to be a volume, but 
if you get a couple more catches here and there every every week, that's when you start seeing potential growth uh, and potential production. Um, the last couple weeks, couple big plays, more consistency you're seeing down the field. Those are the things that we've been wanting to see out of McCall, Cole Hardman. And, you know, it, it seeing the seeing the more consistent production in any regard has been really you know, a reason for optimism. And that's all I've wanted to see. And and you're starting to see it. I don't think the expectations are what some people are for him still, but as a third option, what you saw the last couple weeks Absolutely. That's exactly what you want to see out of him. And hopefully that continues and hopefully you get more. Hopefully he just completely dunks on any narratives that I've I've put out there, honestly. Like that's what we all hope for that. We want him to have success. We want the Chiefs. We don't we're critical of Charvarius Ward, but we want him to have success. We want them to not have to worry about the cornerback position. Ready aim lion. Seems like this this game was the perfect time to get Willie Gay more time in nickel and dime, yet we kept playing Ben Neiman and Damian Wilson. What does he have to show to get on the field? Combined with a disappointing pass rush outside of Jones in the front seven looks pretty rough. I'll agree that the pass rush looks a little bit rough right now, but I, I actually thought that they had a really good game against the run. Their fits were good. I thought that felt the linebackers, particularly Anthony Hitchens, look good. As far as Willie Gay goes, he just got to be in the playbook, man. I I don't know what more he's got to do other than learn the scheme. I would have put in the backups a full series before they did there at the end of the game. They had a full dime series when the Chiefs were up, what, 19 there at the end of the game. I would have played the backups then, would have gotten those guys a little more reps then. But outside of that, I mean, the game wasn't fully in blowout mode until that 19-point lead. I just don't know that they felt comfortable enough to trust all the backups. And it's very clear now that Willie Gay Jr. is not going to get those nickel reps unless it's a massive lead. And I, I just think that he needs more time on the field in the nickel to read things better. And guys, when he's out there, he's not particularly reading things great. Like he he's not reading pulling guards particularly well. He's not really seeing his own depth properly. We've seen a couple of good things out of him in the base. He just needs more reps. He needs to grow in that role. He needs to grow with his vision and he'll get on the field eventually. It's just going to be one of those situations that's going to be slower than we all want but it's not going to be something that they're just going to throw him to the wolves and get exposed for a team that wants gap soundness and guys that are smart. Andrew Nagel too asks, Colin Saunders was a healthy scratch. Is it due to the emergence of other players or a lack of development on his part? Yes. Yes to both. I think Colin Saunders had a lot of hype because of the personality that he had and some of the things, the highlights that he could do last season. And I, when I went back and watched through it, he looked like a guy that just simply wasn't quite ready to be on the field. He looked a lot better when he played less snaps because he was able to be utilized in a more specialized way that fit his skill set. This year, you were kind of hoping to see a jump. He obviously got injured, so you didn't get to see a ton of what he was able to do. But... Tershawn Wharton came along, and for a guy who shouldn't have been as far along as Colin Saunders went, played much better than Saunders did at any point in time last season so far to start this year. Like, Tershawn Wharton took that job away from Colin Saunders. 
I don't think Saunders has shown the quick twitch ability that he tested with, that he flashed at times in college or at the Senior Bowl. He doesn't play consistently at that level of athleticism, whereas Tershawn Wharton does. He always looks like a good athlete as a defensive tackle. Saunders is a little late at times. Then you combine that with being undersized doesn't always seem to be on the same page as everybody else. It's just, it was hard to keep his job and make ways for him to be on the field when you had Wharton who had come in and just played so well for the Chiefs. It was uh, it was interesting for sure to see uh, a guy like Colin Saunders scratched. And, I, you know, I don't want to make too much of it. You know, it's not like he's been healthy the entire season. They were at a position where they didn't necessarily need um, you know, need to play him either. So, like, I'm not trying to look too much into it, but, I mean, this is a, just a chance to talk about. Like, Colin Saunders continues to just – or not Colin Saunders. Tershawn Wharton just continues to to make some plays and show some positive signs. He's not perfect. He's not going to be a guy that you're probably going to see starting week over week. But I think there was some splash plays that you saw from him again, and that's really solid from a rotational player that needs some plays to be made in this, you know, on their defensive line because not a ton of guys are making plays. Maybe it's not always sacks. But he's done some good things, and I think you got to feel good about that. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, continuing your questions, and I love this one. Derek Vreeland, prediction time. Will the Chiefs lose another regular season game this year? And if so, then to who? No, I don't think so. I think they should be favored in every single game. I I do think that they'll probably drop one at some point. I think they'll just have an off game. But I can't pinpoint a single game that I think that they should lose. Obviously, the Bucks are the team that you would kind of look at and go, oh, that's a team that – should be competitive, should have, you know, a good game against the Chiefs, but the Bucks look pretty awful against the New York Giants, who are an inferior team, a massively inferior team. So I just think that if the Chiefs continue to play to the level that we know they can and the what level that they have over the past couple of weeks, then I think that they should be able to just run the table from here on out. I think the Chiefs will drop one more. I think they'll lose one more regular season game. And just looking through the schedule, I think the Chiefs will be very much up and ready for that Buccaneers game because it's pretty clear that those are two of the best teams in the NFL right now. I think the Saints game might catch them a little off guard. I think they just their focus might be on a few other teams. The Saints aren't as dangerous as they have been in years past, and it's a team that's matchup-wise might be a little tricky for the Chiefs just because everything is based around Alvin Kamara or Michael Thomas, if he's ever healthy, running short, in-breaking routes. That's kind of where you can have success against the Chiefs is with the running back and then a wide receiver or any player that works in that area of the field. Defensively, they're pretty strong. I just wonder if that's a game where you get a ho-hum Chiefs performance just in terms of game plan game plan, and they're ready to be up and ready for that game and the Saints come in and just kind of play a little bit harder and want it a little bit more. But 
they should be favored in every single game. It wouldn't surprise me if they won out all of these games throughout the rest of the regular season. They are very clearly one of the top one or two teams in the NFL. They should win them all. I just, I see the Chiefs losing one. I'm, I'm going to go on record and say it's going to be the Saints game. Uh, you know, I could see the Chiefs win, losing a couple, like one more. Sorry, not a couple. I could see them losing one more, one of the Saints or the Buccaneers. But here's the thing. You got to ask yourself this. Was the Raiders' loss last year's Titans' loss? Was that the galvanizing moment where both sides of the ball kind of put things together and started moving forward uh, You know, towards that championship? Was that a turning point? And it's weird to say turning point for a team that's 7-1 and one, that – really doesn't show any signs of slowing down and is fresh off a of Super Bowl. But, I mean, we're playing with different rules now that the world champions are the world champions. Uh, I think the Chiefs could potentially lose one of those games between the Bucks and the Saints. Um, but I'm not seeing it right now. I kind of tend to think that this team already kind of has been through all the stuff they need to be through. They had their wake-up call. That's what they used to kind of carry all the momentum all the way through the season. Uh, that's that's just kind of where I fall on that. D Silky, ten asks. It seems every year since Spags has been the defensive coordinator, he gets the most out of the cornerback group with minimal investment. Is this simply due to a certain scheme he employs, or does the fact that he has above-average safety play cover for the deficiencies in that group? I think both those things can be a little bit true. I do think having really good safety play helps the those two guys out there most of the time. Occasionally, there's a third cornerback out there. But we're mostly talking about the two outside corners since Tyron Matthew plays in the slot the most often. And yeah, I think the fact that those guys don't have to man up and cover top-end receivers all the way across the field, no matter what the play call is, play after play, and they have a lot of help. Last year, you saw Juan Thornhill, Tyron Matthew, Dan Sorensen giving both corners a lot of help over top. Like There was a lot more help being given to those corners last year than there seems to have been so far this season. So he does help them out a lot, but I think... Bigger than that, the pass rush helps out. The exotic looks help out. The fact that you're able to get offenses to play off schedule for themselves makes it easier for these corners who are just big, long guys that kind of try to disrupt receivers on the outside. And as long as you can buy just enough time for that confusion to set in or for the pass rush to hit home, you look good. And I also think this is something that came to me today. I think he just has confidence or shows confidence in these guys to go out there and play. And if your team looks confident that your cornerback can shut down a receiver, you have to have a certain kind of quarterback and wide receiver and head coach to challenge them play after play. It's bit the Chiefs in the past. You can go back to the Houston Texans throwing at Charvarius Ward a bunch of times. Like, if you have the kind of quarterback, receiver, and head coach or play caller that will challenge these one-on-one matchups, you can take advantage, but you have to be a certain kind of person at all three of those spots to say, oh, they're willing to play one-on-one coverage with this player against me. Do I really want to throw at them over and over again? Uh, Maddie nailed it. Uh, the safety play definitely helps. They do get a lot of help. Uh, longer corners that can shrink some throwing windows definitely helps. And yeah, that I was actually going to say a very similar thing there. You have to have trust in your receivers. It, there's a matchup coming up. Atlanta is coming up. You're going to see Matt Ryan force the ball to Julio Jones, period. It doesn't matter if he's covered or what the case may be. They're going to force the ball to Julio Jones. That's a matchup that they're going to continue to hammer regardless of what the coverage looks like because he has trust in his receiver to go get it and they're going to target him heavily. Those are the types of players that are the types of teams 
that the Chiefs have come up against that have given Steve Spagnuolo trouble, but he does rotate well. His zone schemes are particularly good. He does a lot of robber, a lot of trap stuff. He forces quarterbacks to have to hold on to the ball that split second longer, and he's a high-blitzing defensive coordinator. So you see a lot of situations where the timer's a little bit sped up for the quarterback, so they don't really have time to watch things develop. They don't have time for the receivers to really get downfield break open and create separation they have to be out they have to be on time and so that plays to the strengths of the cornerbacks a little bit better it's weird to say too that without you know the linebackers they have but I think in some of those situations where they speed things up teams don't really beat them in the middle of the field either and part of that's the safeties and the in the respect that the safeties provide um, there's a lot of little moving pieces in, in parts of this, and you can't completely diminish the cornerback group entirely. Like, there's some things you need to give them credit for. You need to also give credit to Sam Madison, who's done a fantastic job with the secondary coach and that group up. A, a lot of things, you know, investing in the pass rush too at a high at a high number too. Um, Hunter Erickson asks, I know our defensive line depth isn't great, but once Taco Charlton's fully healthy, he got uh, 75% of the defensive two or defensive end two snaps, right? I think he had 20 snaps this week, so that made me think he was somewhat on a snap count. I wish that was the case, but I think Tano Passanio is pretty set in stone as a defensive end, too. They like him on rundowns. He plays against the run relatively well. He's got the strength. He's got the length. He provides enough of an athlete on the edge that he can hold contain against a variety of different kinds of offenses. I don't think that Passanio or even Mike Dana provide 50% of the pass rush that Taco does. He is clearly their second best pass rusher off the edge. I just don't know if that's ever going to equate to being that many snaps just for this defense because they do put a little bit of emphasis on being able to stop the run out of their base defense. And I'm not sure Taco Charlton is, that's where he's been the best. I don't know if it's the play calls. I don't know if it's what he's being asked to do, but there's been some plays versus the run where he's been pretty poor. Like, he's had some really poor snaps against the run. I don't think they like his lack of consistency there to make him the starter. But I do think you will start to see, especially in games when they jump out to a lead, him get a little bit more and more of those reps when they're really getting to pin their ears back and rush the passer. Maui Oi asks, Aloha, gents. I have a question about Charvarius Ward. Will Casey sign him to a lucrative deal next year? What price will he command? I don't see that happening. To be honest, I think that Charvarius Ward has had a very up and down year this season, and he'll admit it. I mean, he said on Twitter the other day that he's been in a funk. He's he's having some down moments right now. So I think that you're going to see that the coaching staff's also telling him similar things. He struggles to locate the ball. He struggles to kind of hang with some of the receivers at the catch point. And Sam Madison and Steve Spagnuolo have both gone out of their way to say that they are focused on making sure that their guys can go up and get the ball, create turnovers, because they are put in these good spots. They are put in these spots where it has to be a contested ball. It has to be a, a very tough completion for the receiver. And if you can have the DB turn around and locate the ball and run with these guys, like a guy like Legereus Sneed so far has this season before he was hurt, it makes a significant difference in the output of the defense and what they can do in the passing game. So as it stands right now, Charvarius Ward needs to close hard and have a great finish to the season, I think, for them to really want to reach out and have a lucrative deal on the table for him. 
Casey Tom asks, will Le'Veon Bell factor into the compensatory formula next year? Yes, he will. So if the Chiefs are, you know, if, if, if Le'Veon Bell continues to have success, um, you know, with the Chiefs, he'll get, you know, he'll get another opportunity elsewhere. The question is if he's going to sign within the window that makes him an eligible compensatory free agent. There's a certain deadline that's set every year. Um, it's and if, if if a player is signed after that date, he does not count against the compensatory formula. With the way the market is, you know, with the potential restrictions on cap space, you could see a guy like Le'Veon Bell waiting for the perfect fit or waiting till after the draft to see what shakes out uh, because he wants to go to a winner, which really just means no team wants to sign him yet. Uh, and if that happens, he's not going to count against the compensatory formula, which means that the Chiefs will not be able to get a pick out of him uh, moving forward. Lolit McGee asks, last year you guys always said that Mahomes shreds zone defenses, and then the only way to slow down KC was tough physical man coverage across the board. This year, the only way to slow down KC's offense is an effective four-man rush and zone coverage. What has changed? Last year, to start the season, and even when we kind of talked about it at the beginning of the year, Patrick Mahomes was beating up zone defense. And part of that was the offensive line was holding up a little bit better. So these receivers had a chance to go through their routes a lot farther, work into open space. And another part is teams didn't have as much film on the Chiefs going into last season when we kind of had this opinion. As teams got more film available, everyone knows that when the Chiefs go to 3 by one somebody's running a deep over, and that's where the Chiefs want to throw the football. So lo and behold, all of a sudden, all these zone drops are getting a defender to cover that deep over. And then once you cover the deep over, what's next? You make sure you stop the vertical routes on either side of it, because that's where they're going to look next. It's just more film became available, and it became the easiest way to cover the Chiefs after you saw where the route distribution was going, what their trends were, whereas no longer playing man coverage, you could easily just zone off, not have your defensive back have to run with these super athletes, and you can play tendencies. And you've seen that some this year. You look at some of the games the Chiefs passing off and struggled in, it's because they're trying to push the ball downfield on vertical routes, they're trying to hit these deep routes over the middle of the field, and teams like the Raiders in the second half, or when you had the Bills when the Chiefs tried to pass it, sometimes the Patriots, they're just flooding these parts of the field, making it difficult to throw there. What you saw versus the Jets was a team that played a lot of zone coverage, they just didn't do near of a good of a job flooding the same areas, and the Chiefs finally said, hey, let's run some slant routes and some hitch routes with this, we'll take our 12 yards at a time instead of the 20, and we're going to move right down the field. I know it's the Jets, but that's a good sign that the Chiefs are figuring out how to attack that similar zone coverage. Some of the comments about man coverage last year also came when uh, Tyreek Hill wasn't out there as well. So there was a and Sammy Watkins. And Both Sammy of those Watkins. guys, yeah. The Colts game, the Colts game had like guys off the practice squad playing cornerback. Shaquille Taylor from KU, I believe, played. And the Colts just said, we're going to play man coverage and we're going to challenge your wide receiver three and four and five and see if they can beat us, and they couldn't. So there was some stretches, too, where it wasn't entirely the full complement of players uh, having a hard time beating man coverage as well. Bradley C. Henson asks, is there a timetable on LeJarrius Sneed's re return? I haven't heard much about it. Y'all have stayed for the show. I appreciate everyone who's listened this late. Uh, I'm just going to throw something out here. Keep an eye on after the bye week. I've That might be a, a window uh, that you kind of see him come back, uh, maybe try to get him rested through the bye. So just keep an eye on that. That's going to be it for the mailbag. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you later.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.